0: This is John Flannery. Welcome to Let Freedom Ring and the issue this week, the fight for peace in Ukraine. This is no easy problem, as you know. This is something that's been going on that is hard to miss. But I thought it would make some sense to go back historically to one critical point where we could probably have made a bigger difference than what we know now. Back in 2014, the United States slammed Russia, calling Russian President Vladimir Putin ruthless for protecting the Crimea with Russia's Black Sea Force. That was a terrible time, and the question goes back even further than 2014, because in history, this is a place that we talked about in school, probably went to the rhyme. Let me describe a little bit the history. Compare the original Crimean War of 1853 through 1856. The Allies then included France, Britain, the Ottoman Empire, and Sardinia. The allies landed on the southwest coast of the Crimean Peninsula in 1854 and the Russians retreated. The allies pursued. In the famous or infamous as you choose, the charge of a light brigade was created. It was the battle of Balaklava. The light cavalry under the Earl of Cardigan thought they were chasing a fleeing Russian artillery. But what happened is they came up against an artillery battery ready to battle, and the Russian artillery cut down half the 700 cavalry, prompting Alfred Lord Tennyson's famous poem that you may have studied but certainly heard in school. The war-weary citizens of Great Britain soon had enough. Russia agreed not to re-establish an arsenal on the Black Sea that could challenge the Ottoman Empire. Russia has not forgotten this battle, even if our nation and the EU pretend it never happened. Let's go back then to 2014, when Russia thought to seize with soldiers dressed in anonymous garb, not easily identified as Russian, took up in the area and took possession of the Russian parliament, which is called the Duma, unanimously authorized Putin's, quote, stabilization force. Nikolai, said, all this is being done under the guise of democracy, said Nikolai Rishkov, a Duma member. Nikolai charged that the United States tore apart Yugoslavia, routed Egypt, Libya, Iraq, and so on, and all this under the false guise of peaceful demonstrations. In other words, he was saying, no more America than us does anything different. Nikolai therefore said, so we must be ready in case they will unleash the dogs on us. The lack of trust is at the core of peace, and we didn't have it with Russia. And this is years afterwards. And this is when Putin had in his mind the notion of a Soviet empire that had been lost, that he sought to restore. And part of that was the Crimea. That was the Russian perspective. Unfortunately, our nation's past and recent history gives little reassurance of peace in these circumstances. You know, we could point, as Russia has to how we muscled our way into Florida, Cuba, Haiti, Puerto Rico, Panama, Hawaii, the Philippines, Guam, the Falklands, Nicaragua, each time citing the Monroe Doctrine so that we would be safe in our hemisphere. We cited it as if it was for self-defense, and that is the defense that we all make in every war, some way or other, truthful or false, that we are just in war to defend ourselves. If, if there's an affirming truth, it shows that the United States does fight when pushed to that point, but they weren't pushed to that point in 2014. And, and what does a, a self-satisfying conflict do for the rest of us? Do we want to shed the blood of our young? Do we want to forego better budgeting at home to underwrite gunfire abroad? Now, the nation is as war-weary in America and elsewhere as Great Britain was after the charge of the Light Brigade. And there is the problem. It's a circumstance, but it's also a problem. We needed to find, and didn't, a third way beyond the Scylla and Charybdis of an all-out war as opposed to anxious, irregular periods of uncertain peace. But we didn't do it. Now, in 2014, and perhaps behind closed doors in 2022, there have been incidents in which we, the Americans, and the West... NATO and others, tried to help Ukraine in this time of imminent war that has become war. But back in 2014, and this is a lesson for us, Ukraine called to the West to put up or shut up with military force, not just economic sanctions. The U.S. saber rattles in response. Partisans insist, however, we must do more. That was the circumstance in 2014. So in 2014, had we begun preparations then, we might have a different context for where we are today in Ukraine. With Putin now threatening a nuclear response if the West should continue to intervene or interrupt his efforts to take over Ukraine. There's a madness in war, like the madness of greed or power. It feeds on itself. It becomes self-justifying. Anything necessary to win becomes right because it is us against them. The madness of war is loose in the twisted, violent minds of our so-called leaders here and abroad. Although on this occasion, the West appears afraid. And Putin expected that and waited for this moment from 2014 to now to take advantage of this situation. Some may say that's a long time to think about it, but Putin has very publicly told us for a long time that he was upset about the dismantling of the Soviet Empire. And so, he has an objective. Aristotle said, nothing improves your aim like having a target. He has a target, and he's had it for a long time, and he's been thinking about it. He thought about it in Brexit, trying to separate Great Britain from EU, the continent. He thought about it when he supported Trump. He thought about it when Trump really attack NATO and compromise its effectiveness. So that is the field of our diplomatic battle, if you will, that frees us or not to use force of arms to stop this madman. Above the fold news headlines and the daily relentless media, bullets are about hurt and sorrow and violence amid the pretense of soulful humanity. I say pretense because when Germany gives 5,000 helmets to a war effort, that can't be taken seriously. When we uh, talk about you know, hearts and minds and prayers and thoughts, that doesn't help either. It goes back to 2014, when the leader of Ukraine said we need force of arms. Sanctions don't work. In recent days, we've heard Vindemans say sanctions don't work. We've heard other military leaders say sanctions don't work. To the extent they do, they are too little and they take months to have effect. So they are going to have little or no effect at all on the hostility that exists in Ukraine. As I'm preparing this podcast, there are supposedly meetings planned or maybe even ongoing between representatives of Russia and representatives of Ukraine. But can we expect it to be anything more than to take time, to delay? Because as I say this and as that meeting may be going on, And as hostilities have been allowed during the period in which they're having this tete-a-tete, there are miles and miles of people marching closer to Kiev, the capital of the Ukraine. My dad told me when I was very young that this was how we managed an overpopulated planet in addition to famine and disease. We had wars and we killed each other. We don't know what the, the body count is yet. One person dying for no good reason is too much. My dad wasn't saying it was right. He had been through World War II in the Army Air Force. He knew something of war. He was just saying, that's the way it is. The human impulse, it cannot be denied, is mostly self-destructive and there appears to be less sanity, fewer restraints, more madness in the world every day, today and back in 2014. Then it's safe for us to go on this way. But where are the leaders to say otherwise? Where were they in 2014? Where, they, where are they in 2022? The whole world has a certain madness about it, and it has to do with the fact that international law means nothing, that decorum means nothing, that comity means nothing, that individual states, nation-states, their constitutions and their laws and their rules mean nothing. In those circumstances, when that is the way the world works, we can't expect anything more than chaos. It's clear going back in time to the period 2014 that Putin feared Hillary Clinton, former Secretary of State, former First Lady, former Senator from New York. He knew that she had a hard line on Russia, whereas Obama and Biden, who's now the president, uh, both thought that they could have a reset, have negotiations, parlay with one another. Hillary didn't believe that. Putin did his homework, and he saw a path to give more prominence to Russia to to free the path for him to build his soviet empire he did his homework he favored brexit to stem the union of great britain with europe he supported trump a failed casino operator a fast handed, bribing, mob-connected realtor in New York over all the Republican candidates who opposed Hillary. Mr. Trump back then favored leaks in his public bromance with Russian President Vladimir Putin when they compromised former Secretary Hillary Clinton. It's a different story, however, when the leaks uncovered how Mr. Trump's advisor, Michael Flynn may have been undermining the Obama administration's sanctions against Mr. Putin's Russia for interfering in our nation's presidential election. Acting Assistant Attorney General Sally Yates, whom I wish was our Attorney General today, when serving as an Assistant Attorney General, found the taped conversation that Michael Flynn had with the Russian Ambassador Sergei Kislyak in late December after the election, found it highly significant, and potentially illegally, because Mr. Flynn discussed the Obama sanctions against Russia. Isn't it interesting? Some want sanctions, but not Trump. At the time, Mr. Flynn was a citizen, because Mr. Trump, the Orange Ogue, had not yet taken over as the president, had not been sworn in until January. When interviewed by the FBI, Mr. Flynn repeatedly recalled, no discussion of sanctions. You know, it's actually a crime for any citizen to have any communications, quote, with any foreign government or any officer or agent thereof with intent to influence the measures or conduct of any foreign government or of any officer or agent thereof in relation to any disputes or controversies with the United States or to defeat the measures of the United States. Russian Deputy Foreign Minister Sergei Ryabkov said there were also contacts with the Trump team during the presidential election. Ryabkov said, obviously we know most of the people from his, meaning Trump's, entourage. This begs the question whether and who in the Trump entourage may have acted in concert with the Russians' hacking campaign during the election. But heaven help America is entirely unable to ascribe responsibility for criminal acts to anyone who has anything to do with Trump. They are so far above the law, they are invisible to the law. They can do whatever they want. In recent days in New York, the DA basically shut down an investigation that's been going on forever with experienced prosecutors who went up to the Supreme Court, spent two years getting the tax returns of Trump, put together a team of 25, reviewed millions of pages of documents, and the incoming DA, within several weeks in office, has shut down the investigation. There was such a press uproar. What did they do? they appointed a woman to oversee the investigation as if it's going on when there's no evidence that it is. Unfortunately, the two prosecutors who quit the office are not speaking, not telling us why. The traitor's line of conduct, undermining sanctions against a foreign nation, state that interfered in our presidential election makes unlawful sense because Mr. Trump was the direct. Beneficiary of that hacking interference. During the campaign, Mr. Trump thanked Vladimir for hacking a high government official, Secretary Hillary Clinton, and called on Russia to keep it up, do more hacking, and release whatever else you find. When Fox's Bill O'Reilly asked Mr. Trump how he could admire Putin, he's a killer, Trump answered, There are a lot of killers. We've got a lot of killers. What do you think? Our country so innocent? Mr. Trump plainly has an elastic de- definition of what's innocent. He also has a tolerance for crime and disorder and deception like few other people because most of us don't associate with organized crime figures. He made his deal with the devil Putin in order to have the power of the presidency. Truth be told, and Mr. Trump would deny this as well, Mr. Putin is a grandmaster of KGB treachery seeking out opportunities in the political vacuum that Trump was creating. And Mr. Trump is, by comparison, an inflated narcissist who can't admit what he doesn't know about such intrigues. Plainly, the Russians have private information about Mr. Trump's finances or something so much worse. This brazen TV reality star can't stand to have the information public or to give up whatever the deal is that he's made with Putin. The late Senator John McCain decried the chaos in the West Wing. Mr. Trump says the government is running like a Swiss clock. That's what he said when he was in the government. The whole story of the corrupt Mr. Trump has unfolded over the years and is undeniable. Trump's traitorous conduct is most evident now as he praises Putin, the invading destroyer of Ukraine. He refers to him as a genius. Trump calls the world leaders from the West trying to find a peaceful third way or the military path to stop Putin now. He calls them dumb. Trump gives aid and comfort to Putin by what he does. He encourages members of the Republican Party to take sides with Putin. Still, this man is thought by Republicans to be a presidential timber rather than the enemy within, the traitor who would betray our nation, who tried to overturn our government in order to wrongly succeed himself in office, having lost by a wide margin the presidential election to Biden. Had we punished him and his traitorous allies, we might not have to guard against the enemy within today. Biden and the West are doing the best with the tools they have. Yes, they could have done other things. Perhaps they should have done other things. But we have to live with the deal that we have. Hopefully, how we shortchanged our power to prefer diplomacy will be corrected, although perhaps too late for this conflict in Ukraine. However Ukraine sounds its closing chapter in survival or loss, we can't let this opportunity to gird ourselves for the next wave of conflict and chaos. The world is wanting in law and order and respect and comity. We have to address that directly at home and abroad. That's what I got. Talk to you next week. Hope you found this interesting. All the best. Bye-bye.